0: Well, I am always in a hurry. Always. I mean, I'm always like, you know, running from just a fury of activity, checking things off the list, barking at the kids to hurry up, distracted. I am anxious and troubled almost all of the time. I had mentioned uh, a few weeks ago That I was taking a little bit of a solitude, like a study week, right? I took four days of solitude. and I mean, solitude, solitude. No internet, no phone, nobody but me. Something I I, I try to do uh, once a year or so in order to do some long-term planning for church. Uh, But even more than that, just for my own soul refreshment, right? To stop and to pray and to listen. Things that I am not very good at. So often I'm just... too big of a hurry. I and mean, God doesn't seem to respond all that well to me when I tell him to hurry up, right? And, and so to stop and, and to get away, and, and I, I've done this solitude thing enough. This is my third year in a row doing this. It's kind of, a, again, a pattern that I've established in my life. Um, and I've done this enough to know that the first day, the first day is perfect. I mean, it's it's just relaxing, refreshing. I get so much done. I get to hang out with, frankly, one of my favorite people in the world, right? Me. Um, I, I know that about myself. I always enjoy, I always love the first day. But by the start of day three, that's when I start going crazy. I mean, at that point, it's kind of like, I mean, I've got to hang out with this guy. I mean, are you, are you kidding? What is his problem, right? And I get antsy and, and sort of lonely and, and all of this in this moment. I mean, it's, it's kind of like detox. I, I feel like a, a drug addict in rehab finally coming down. I am addicted to hurry. I'm, a, I'm addicted to, to distraction, all of it. And yes, we love peace and quiet. We all crave it. And yet I'm not sure we'd really know what to do with it if we had it, right? Honestly. And yet, without fail, that is always when God does his greatest work in my heart. very, Very few of us, I'm sure, can carve out four days, right? That's not an easy thing to do. In fact, I probably wouldn't have if my wife hadn't been sort of kicking me out the door, right? She, she knows how good it is for me as well. Some of us might be lucky even just for, for four hours. Some of us would benefit, frankly, just from four minutes of silence. But the point is, most of us are running way too fast. One, one author writes... Um, what keeps many of us from growing is not sin, that growing in our faith, maturing, following Jesus, is not sin, but speed. We are going as fast as we can, living life at a dizzying speed, and God is nowhere to be found. We're not rejecting God, we just don't have time for Him. We've lost Him in the blurred landscape as we rush to church. It's not that we're too decadent, we're too busy. It's not sinning too much that's killing our souls. It's our schedule that's annihilating. Most of us don't come home at night staggering drunk. Instead, we come home staggering tired, worn out, exhausted, and drained because we live too fast. Anybody relate to that a little bit? I mean, how many of us here, if we're we're honest, how many of us feel anxious and troubled by many things? Most of us probably feel this way, and frankly, we don't know how to detox, do we? We feel imprisoned by our schedules, enslaved by our obligations, always running, anxious and troubled by many things. Let's, let's be concrete here, okay? Just say anxious and troubled by many things. I mean, what does that, what does that even mean? Let's, let's put some on the board here. You like my new whiteboard, by the way? Pretty cool, huh? Some awesome people made this for me, so, for us, I guess, but, you know, I'm the one who gets to play with it the most, so, but anxious and trouble, what what are some of those things in your life right now, or if you you don't want to be too, you know, sort of personal, just generally, what are some of those things? Not enough money, okay, and I heard school in there as well, so money, definitely, school, did I hear kids? Yeah. If I didn't, we're all thinking it. Kids? Yeah, what else? Job, yeah, absolutely. Other things? Health, yeah, for sure. Anybody else? Nobody wants to confess anymore, right? I mean, the reality is this, this list could keep going, right? And the more specific, the more concrete we get, the longer it becomes. We we're anxious and we are troubled by, by so many things. I, I know it. I feel it. Uh, we're going we're gonna to keep this in, in mind here. But we, we all have this within us. And, and no matter how um, good these things can be, right, Many, in many ways, right? They're all very necessary. And you think about even kids, you could break that down into you know, schedules and both the, the worries and the frustrations, but also the busyness. I mean, there's, just, there's no end of what it is. And so quickly, the busyness overwhelms us, the stress around us. Of course, I can't help but wonder if deep down we kind of like how busy we are. It kind of helps us feel important, you know? Kind of in control, doesn't it? A little bit, maybe. Maybe just me, I guess independent. The reality is we are anxious and troubled by many things, and yet Jesus says one thing is necessary. When I read that this week, okay, it's not a new passage or a new verse to many of us, but when I read that this week, I felt almost as if God... Jesus himself was speaking directly to me, just just like he did to Martha 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's almost as if I heard the words, Nathan, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And those words came at me like a two-by-four to the face. I mean, because... The reality is one thing, God. Are you kidding me? It's millions of things that I feel like I'm juggling that are overwhelming me, that constantly invade my soul. It's a million things. And you say it's one? Well, as we look at this text this morning, these three sort of connected passages, we're going to see exactly that. One thing is necessary. And that one thing is dependence. dependence. And as we look at this, we're going to see the priority of dependence, the pattern of dependence, and the approach of dependence. First, the priority of dependence. Now, now we're still in the gospel of Luke. As we continue our sort of brief overview of the life of Christ, this, this week we're looking at really centering upon his most famous prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. But just before Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke includes this little tiny story about Mary and Martha, these, these two sisters, some of you might know the story. For those of you who might be new, but, but essentially it's very short right there in the text at the end of chapter 10 that, that there are these two sisters, Mary and Martha. They have Jesus over to their house and Martha is doing her thing, right? She is bustling around, getting it all done. She is the perfect hostess, busy. While Mary, her sister, just sits there. I mean, at Jesus' feet, right, shirking all of her responsibilities. And eventually, I mean, Martha, she's getting a little bit irritated. Who wouldn't be, right? I'd be ticked in that moment. She finally goes over to Jesus. and She's like, Jesus, I mean, tell Mary to help me out a little bit. I can't can't do all this by myself. It's a reasonable request. Except that Jesus responds back, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Hmm. What's, what's going on here? I mean, you see, in that culture, it was essential for a woman to be the perfect hostess. I mean, hospitality was, was everything in that part of the world, and it was part of a woman's very identity to be the perfect hostess. Are you following that? I mean, it was, it was part of the very core of what it meant for, for Martha to be a woman. And Martha, Martha embraces that part of her, her identity, and she, she does her absolute best. But Mary... We kind of missed this here, but, but Mary is implicitly making a radical shift in her identity. It's not that she's just distracted by this really good teacher named Jesus. It's not that she's completely oblivious or insensitive to the needs of her sister, Martha. Mary is sitting at the rabbi's feet. Her identity as a disciple now trumps her identity as a woman. You see, being a woman is no longer the most important thing about her. Jesus is the most important thing about her. Martha's priority is is to be a good woman, which, I mean, it's commendable, right? It's just not the necessary thing. But Mary's priority is dependence. She lets the hurry fade, and she sits at Jesus' feet. What do you think about that? Or maybe, maybe a better way of asking that is, what, what is the most important thing about you? I mean, if you were to answer that question, and I don't mean just give like the quick, easy answer, but if you were to, to think about your schedule, your priorities, the way you live your life, the things that you think about in those rare, quiet moments, what is the most important thing about you? Because, I mean, the hurry, the distractions, all those things are important, But are you a mom first, or are you a disciple first? Are you successful in your career first, or are you a follower of Jesus first? Only one thing is necessary. The first step away from hurry toward dependence is to prioritize the relationship. And some of us will never grow. We'll never change. We'll never fully embrace the life that Jesus offers to us because we refuse to reorder our lives around him. Think about that for a second. I mean, maybe another question to to ponder, to reflect on. Is Jesus your hobby or is he your identity? Think about that. I've had to wrestle with that this week a lot, right? Thinking through this. Is he just a hobby? Is he something that we squeeze? I mean, hobbies, right? You squeeze into the extra time, right? That's what we do with hobbies. It's, what we, it's the leftover time. Hobbies don't define our schedules. And so is Jesus, is he a hobby? Squeezed into the cracks of your life? Or is he the one that defines the schedule? Is he the one that sort of sets the agenda for the way that we live out our priorities. I mean, just, just for example, and I'm gonna sound really cynical and I, I know that I'm working on it. We'll just, we'll just go with that. But hang with me for a second because I know I'm guilty here too. But it always, it always kind of cracks me up a little bit when, when somebody tells me that they're like too busy. Okay, people say that a lot, right? I say that a lot. We, we all say that a lot because we are all all too busy. But it kind of cracks me up. Um, particularly when somebody says, you know, I'm too busy for, too busy to read my Bible, or I'm too busy to, to be at church regularly, or to serve, or be in a small group, or too busy to, to pray, or, or whatever it is, okay? Just, just too busy. And I realize there are, there are seasons in which life gets out of control. I know that there are things that we have to say no to. This is not a guilt trip, okay? Everybody, okay? It's not a guilt trip. But it cracks me up anyway, um, for three reasons. One, first of all, because they feel like they have to explain themselves to me, um, like I'm the one who cares most, you know, about those things in their life, which is just a little bit awkward for me. First of all. Second, because anytime I hear those words, I'm too busy, or really, even when I say those words, all I actually hear is I'm too important, because that's what we mean, right? I mean, right? I mean, be honest, right? I got too much going on, man. The world's going to c- fall apart if I possibly change my schedule. I, I don't have time to be with Jesus. I'm too busy trying to be him, right? To run the world. That's what I hear, okay? Think about that the next time you say that. We all say it. I've said it. But essentially what we mean in that moment is I'm too important. And, and the third reason it cracks me up a little bit when somebody says they're too busy for any of these things is, is I just, I kind of pause and I think... Yeah, because the rest of us have all this time. I mean, he, who here has like t- tons of, of free expendable moments in their day, right? Okay, <laughs> one in the back, right? There's like one of us in this whole thing. Good for you, all right? Good for you. I mean, we're all busy, every one of us, except for him. We're all distracted, <laughs> right? We are all entirely overwhelmed. Nobody, I mean, when we say that we're too busy... We always have time for the things that are most important to us, don't we? Always. We always squeeze in the things that are most important to us. It's not that you're too busy to pray or or too busy to to sit with Jesus. It's that Jesus is your hobby, your your whatever else. That's your identity. And you you might say, yeah, but Nathan... Jesus is a really important part of my life. And how often I know I think that. He's an important part of my life. Friends, listen Jesus won't be part of anything. It's not his role. Somebody he does. He doesn't go in for parts. He is either your identity or your enemy. When is the last time you've sat at his feet? Maybe if you're taking notes here, again, just, just to be concrete, practical here, if you're taking notes, maybe draw just two columns on your, on your paper. We'll give you just a moment to, to do that. If you're not taking notes, just do that in your mind. That's, that's fine. We all learn in different ways, but draw it out sort of like this, and in, in the one column, list out those things. Be specific. What are the things that make you feel anxious and troubled right now in this moment? And, and then write next to it, as hard as it is, okay, yes, but One thing is necessary. Dependence. It's not that those are unimportant things. They're just not the necessary thing. And until we learn the priority of dependence, the rest of this really doesn't matter. The rest rest of what Jesus goes on and teaches, it doesn't matter until we learn to to prioritize this relationship. But once we do, then we can begin to say with the disciples, okay, okay, Jesus, teach us to pray. Because the pattern of dependence that Jesus lays out for us here is prayer. Because prayer, I mean, if nothing else, and I think prayer is a lot of things, but if nothing else, prayer is an active position of dependence, isn't it? I mean, it, it, is, it is saying to God, I don't have what it takes. I cannot do it on my own. That's what, that's what prayer is. And I, I know for some of us right now, you're, you're thinking... Another sermon on prayer, right? I mean, it's, it's not exactly our favorite subject for any of us, is it? I mean, at least not for me. I, it, it's a hard one. Why, why, why do we avoid talking about prayer? Why, and not just talking about, why is prayer so hard for us? What do you think? Am I the only one, right? Come on. Okay, yeah, it, uh, yeah, thoughtfulness, right? Takes, or, yeah, it takes work. Put work under there, it's, it's hard. What else? Time, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, the busyness thing, that's, that is legit, we do feel that. What else? Just slow, down. slow down, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's hard. What else? Sorry, one more? yeah yeah you're junk uh so guilt and i think guilt is an interesting one because we feel guilt on both sides we feel guilt because we we, when we come to god we are inadequate but we also i think are hesitant to pray because we feel so guilty about prayer don't we because we all i mean most of us are probably "Ah, i just don't pray enough right so we feel it on both ends and it i think it slows us from actually coming what else yeah kathy yeah yeah it's a mystery right um, I'll just put a question mark. Yeah, there's, there's much more mystery with that than anything. Um, I mean, I think another one is, let's be honest, it's just awkward, isn't it? Praying is awkward. Every other relationship we have, we have with somebody who has a body, don't we? I mean, who we can see and hear and touch, and then there's God. and We're, we're expected to engage with him. That's it's hard. It's awkward. Any others? Yeah, our own weakness. It goes back to the dependence thing, right? Um, Nobody likes saying that. I think in, in some ways, this is why um, I think spouses sometimes struggle praying together. Um, it's because we don't like to admit that we're weak, right? And that's what prayer is. Um, we, don't like, we especially don't like to do that in front of the people that, we, that most depend on us, weakness. Um, another one for me is disappointment, right? We've all been let down by prayer, haven't we? You know, you, you pray, and you ask, and you want, and, and then nothing seems to happen. I mean, all of these are legitimate in our our hesitation towards prayer. And yet here, in chapter 11, verse 1, even though prayer is hard, I love where this goes. So right after the story that Luke tells of Mary and Martha, it says in chapter 11, verse 1, Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. So even Jesus had a consistent pattern of dependence on his Father. He's praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. By the way, this is the only time when Jesus' disciples ever ask him to teach them anything. God teaches how to pray. And Jesus here, he doesn't give them a magic formula, okay? In fact, many of us probably are a little bit more familiar with the version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. That's when we often pray together. And Luke's is different. It's shorter. It's kind of the abridged version. Maybe it's just the Cliff's Notes. But Jesus, is a, he's not trying to give us a formula for prayer, but a guide for prayer. In verse 2, here's what it says. Jesus says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. We just don't have time to pray. Really? That wasn't very long, Right? It's pretty short. In fact, Jesus makes it clear. He's kind of he's anti-long-winded prayers, right? He makes it very clear with the Pharisees when they're, they're showy, wordy, kind of prayer. Line. He just doesn't want anything to do with that. This is just simple. It's short. It's honest. It's bold before God. It's a pretty simple prayer. And why don't we actually pause for a moment and, and pray through this? Um, just, just as an example, what does it mean to pray these words from our heart for, for who we are before our God? And so why don't, why don't we do that? Let me just pray through this. Can we do that? Let's, let's close our eyes and pray. Father God, that is who you are through Jesus. We are your children, dependent on you. Hallowed be your name. God, may may you, may your name, the greatness of who you are, may you be treated like the great God that you are. May your kingdom come. God, reign in me and in my family and in our church and our community. Let me work for your kingdom and anticipate your kingdom. And God, give us what we need to survive each day, for we depend on you. Forgive us. For we also forgive knowing how much we've been forgiven. And God, keep us from temptation. God, my heart is prone to wander. Keep us whole. For we depend on you. Amen. Even in the busyness. Even when we're overwhelmed, we can embrace the pattern of dependence. So for some of us, it begins by simply digging out a better rut. Now, now for me, for those of you who, who know me, um, you know that I love a good rut. I, mean, I just love it. Schedule, routine, pattern, whatever you want to call it. I love a good rut. I mean, it's a place of, of comfort and peace and, and all. In fact, I think, it's, I think it's kind of genetic. In fact, I, I walked in this morning and my son, David, showed me his little notepad with scribbles. He said, this is my schedule. Like, just gibberish, right? He's six years old, Okay. Uh, the, the other morning, he, he got up and he said, Mom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to schedule my day, okay? This is just genetic for us, all right? I'm sorry, but we love ruts. We millers. Whether or not you love them, though, doesn't matter. You have them. Every one of us, lots of them. In fact, I would venture to bet that the majority of the things you do, you do in the exact same way. Generally, the same time, same place, over and over and over. I mean, just an example how many of you are sitting in generally the same seats you were sitting in last week? Show of hands, huh? Yeah, yeah. We love ruts. This is just what we do. And I love that. I mean, Jesus knows how we're wide, whether we like them or not, we gravitate in that, in that way. And so, He gives us this simple pattern, not a magic formula, but a pattern, a guide of what it looks like to be dependent on a regular basis before our God. So what, what's your pattern? When, when do you pray? Because if you don't pray, that's, that's a rut also, right? It goes both ways. So how do you actively depend on God? Well, let me, let me just tell you my general prayer rut. Okay, not because it's perfect by any means. In fact, it could be a lot better. Uh, but simply as an example, of what, does it, what does it look like to try to live this out? Failing along the way, but yet wanting to. For me, prayer begins with a time and place. It has to. I mean, that's, that's just, because I'm such a, a focused to do, checking it off the list kind of person, I, I have to schedule a time and a place. Um, that's, just, that's just part of, of, of who I am. If I don't do that, I won't pray. It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. i mean, sure there might be sporadic moments throughout the day, but if I, if I don't schedule a time and place, it's not gonna happen. Um, so I, I would recommend that um, for all of us. And for me, that, that time and place is here, downstairs, actually right underneath here in my, in my office. Um, I get here six days a week at 5.30 in the morning. Um, that's not bragging. That's just the rut that I've carved. I'm weird like that. I like mornings. So the very first thing that I do when I get here. Any guesses? Make coffee. That's right. Yeah, you, you guys know me well enough. It's not, it's not the spirit. I don't, you know, right away start praying. You know, give me a minute. Um... You know, I've fallen asleep while praying before, and so I I prefer to, yes, make coffee. But while I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, I force myself, and force is the chosen word there. I force myself to sit while I'm sipping my coffee and pray for 15 minutes. Some of you think, wow, 15 minutes, that's woefully inadequate for a pastor, and maybe you're right, okay? Others of you are thinking, 15 minutes of silence? I mean, I'd go crazy, and so we're all at different places in this, aren't we, okay? Maybe for you, it's just a matter of carving out five minutes tomorrow morning before you do anything else, except maybe make coffee, to pray. Just to say, God, I depend on you to start your day in that way. With the, even with those words, God, I depend on you. I can't do it without you. And for me, part of that rut is I, I use a list just to, to guide me through. it. something that's just on my iPad. It's very simple. Things that I pray for every day, other things that are just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, different, different things. Um, I also, I like to pray with scripture. I think one of the primary ways that God speaks to us is through his word. And so um, many of those requests will have a verse attached to it to, to help guide me in my prayer for somebody. Some of you, actually many of you are on that list. Um, with a verse um, that I just to help me to guide me uh, in prayer on behalf of all of us and and our needs and so this this is just this is my my rut okay again take it or leave it it's not it's far from perfect but that's that's the thing that I've sort of carved out to help me to pray the reality is sometimes it's boring sometimes I just sit there watching the clock like come on God really we're really gonna do this this morning Um, sometimes I hate it sometimes it's delightful but other times, it's, it's just plain difficult, but that's the rut that I've carved. It's the decision that I've made, that this is, this is part of, of what I'm going to do, and if nothing else, it forces me every single day to say, God, I depend on you. God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. And we're all busy. We're all distracted, but friends, chances are you are too busy not to pray. I mean, prayer is like air, In the suffocating busyness of life around us, breathe it in. I mean, none of us, right? None of us are too busy to pray or to to breathe, right? Prayer is similar. It gives air to our souls in the midst of the suffocation of life around us. Paul Miller, uh, in his book, A Praying Life, I'd highly recommend this, actually, if you're interested in more. This is probably the most practical, realistic uh, book on prayer that I've ever read. But one of the things he says, is learning to pray doesn't offer you a less busy life. It offers you a less busy heart. Because we are anxious and troubled by many things. One thing is necessary. Okay, so that's the priority, the pattern of dependence. What about the approach? There's one more little, little bit of text here that's, that's important. The approach of dependence that Jesus lays out for us is audacious trust. Almost, almost to the point of being ridiculous. Because right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells his disciples this parable. It's, just, it's a weird, weird story, okay? So imagine it, right? Jesus there, talking to his disciples, just told them what to pray. He says, okay, just imagine it like this. A neighbor comes over to your house, middle of the night, asks for bread. Okay, so picture yourself in that situation, right? Picture one of your neighbors ringing your doorbell, midnight, you come down completely in a stupor, and he says, hey, can I borrow a loaf of bread, okay? Weird, right? And Jesus says then in verse 8, he says, because of his impudence, he will rise, you will rise, okay, the one woken up, and give him whatever he needs. Impudence, what is that, right? Well, I I like the way the the NIV translates it. Uh, the, The updated NIV translates it, shameless audacity, because of his reckless abandon of all social norms, he will get what he's asking for. I mean, again, put yourself there, right? You, you're confused, you're tired, you don't really know what's going on. There is your neighbor, but you are convinced that this guy needs a loaf of bread, right? Because there he is. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous and it's boldness. And Jesus says prayer is a little bit like that. The kind of boldness that we could come to God because of Jesus is it's ridiculous. It's shameless before him. And so Jesus says in verse 9, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And then Jesus moves into another metaphor. Okay, it's a metaphor of, of a father and son. But the, the point is the same. This, this audacious trust. But I love what he says in verse 11. It says, What father among you? Okay, dads, right? Dads, parents, if your son or daughter asks you for a fish, which of you will instead give him a snake? Anybody? Okay, no? Or if he asks for an egg, it will give him a scorpion. The idea here is that no, love, no parent with any ounce of love would be so cruel to their child. And in verse 13, Jesus says, If you then, who are evil... Hope you don't mind. Jesus just called us all evil. If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, how do we approach God? What does dependence in prayer look like? It looks like an annoying neighbor in the middle of the night, desperate for a little bread. It looks like a child. Who just won't stop asking. Who doesn't give up. I mean, I'd heard that phrase, you know, pray like a child or faith like a child plenty of times. But, but again, it was, it was this book that I mentioned a moment ago that really brought that to life for me. Listen, listen to what he says about how a child prays. He says, let's do a quick analysis on how little children ask. What do they ask for? Everything and anything. If they hear about Disneyland, they want to go there tomorrow. How often do little children ask? Parents, repeatedly, over and over again, they wear us out. Sometimes we give in just to shut them up. How do little children ask? Without guile. They just say what is on their minds. They have no awareness of what is appropriate or inappropriate. And then he says to learn how to pray is to enter the world of a child where all things are possible. Little children can't imagine that their parents won't eventually say yes. They know that if they keep pestering their parents, they'll eventually give in. Childlike faith drives this persistence, but as we get older, we get less naive and more cynical. If we're going to live this life, if we're going to trade out busy hearts for dependent hearts, we've got to replace cynicism with audacious trust. And prayer is hard. Every one of us has been let down, disappointed in prayer. It's so easy to begin to figure, well, why bother? Kids, we have so much to learn from you. We we adults have so much to learn that that we can talk to God like this. And it's okay to lay it all out there, your, your frustrations, your disappointments. It's okay to beg because only one thing is necessary. Dependence. And only when you truly believe that you cannot possibly make it through life on your own, only then does prayer even begin to make sense. So I'm not lying when I say I am anxious and troubled by many things. I mean, in fact, that's one of the things I realized in that, that week away, right, of solitude, listening and trying to figure out more of who God is and who he's made to be, is that I worry a lot. I get, I get stressed so quickly and, and exhausted by the things around me. And in the craziness of life, it's probably never going away. Well, you think it will, don't we? And we always say, you know, when the kids get to this age, or when this part of work, this promotion comes, or, you know, when I get past this in school, we just, we assume then, oh, then I'll have all this time for these things. I'm just not convinced that that's ever going to happen, quite honestly. The question isn't whether or not you're going to be anxious and troubled. The question is, who will you depend on? Who will you put your hope in? Because if we depend on him in intimacy and prayer, your heart can be at rest. My heart can be at rest even when my world is in turmoil. In every other master that we have Well, the the old list, okay? Uh, Every other master, every other thing that we run to will leave us empty, will leave us ultimately wanting more, even good things, right? Family and work and money and leisure, all of those things, but we so quickly become enslaved to these lesser gods. And we just keep swinging away, running, never resting, letting busyness destroy our souls. I mean, how is that working out for you? Because then there's Jesus. Because Jesus is the only, other, only master who, instead of taking everything from us, gave up everything so that we could have life, who, who promises us rest in his yoke. Yeah, I know, it's, it's weird. It's a weird relationship. It's, it's difficult to understand how it works, and it's, it is hard, and yet there is intimacy when we prioritize the relationship, there's there's joy when we dig better ruts, there's hope when we replace cynicism with trust. Jesus, he doesn't promise to take any of it away. Just so you know. I mean, he doesn't promise carte blanche to give us whatever we think we want when we pray. What, is, what does he promise to us? Verse 13: how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He promises himself, his very presence, living within all who believe, empowering us, encouraging us, convicting us, praying for us when we don't know what or how to pray. We I mean, prayer so often seems so far out of reach to me. God can seem so distant and yet here he is, living within us. Your world may be full of chaos, but your heart doesn't have to. For God's sake, pray. For your own sake, pray. For the sake of your family and and your community, for your church, for the people around you, pray. Because we we don't come to the throne as slaves. We come boldly as sons and daughters, fully loved, fully accepted with shameless audacity, with simplicity. We come with dependence. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But just one thing is necessary.